A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia, and our cases this week. The elderly cat ladies of Alabama have been convicted and sentenced to jail. Their crimes technically trespassing in disorderly conduct, but what they were really doing was feeding stray cats. This real-life Thelma and Louise are 85 and 61 years old. The police body cam video of their arrest is not to be missed, and we will be playing it for you. But first, a much more serious case. A woman is charged with murdering her former stepfather after she discovered more than 100 nude photos of herself on the man's computer. Prosecutors allege that after finding the lewd images, the woman hatched a plan to drug her former stepfather before allegedly strangling him. The woman maintains that she never planned to kill him and that his own intoxication led to his death. We are recording this on Wednesday, December 21st of 2022. Our guest today is Jared Bradley, the president of MVAC Systems, a wet vacuum-based forensic DNA collection system. Jared has experience training law enforcement professionals in new technologies of DNA collection and analysis. He's also the host of all Things Crime podcast. Jared, I'm so excited you're here. I feel like I was stalking you on Twitter, trying to get you to come on our program, and you're here. It's like a gift from Santa. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push that too far, but it's an honor to be here, and I'm excited. Uh, these, uh, I, Your show is fantastic, and um, yeah, hello to everybody. Hi. Um, we just briefly want people to understand what your company does so they can understand your expertise in the world of crime. And, you know, we talk so much on this program about DNA and DNA analysis, but what we don't discuss is the extraction of the DNA to be able to collect a sample. So in the simplest way possible, could you explain to us what the MVAC does? Absolutely. The the MVAC, if you think about how a carpet cleaner works, so the way it sprays a sterile solution down and then vacuums up whatever is in that solution. So imagine that on a medical grade level where you're looking for DNA off of evidence. So somebody could grab your sleeve and we can vacuum that area around the sleeve and get the, that person's DNA. So we can get DNA off just about anything. It's fascinating to me how you all play a role in the solving of a crime. And again, DNA is the new gold standard and forensic technology and digital forensics, you know, where we didn't have this maybe 30 years ago and everything is evolving and changing so quickly. So I'm thrilled that you're here, Jared. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on our cases. We don't have any super rich DNA cases for you today because there's a case that we're watching out of California that has gone to the jury. It's a huge case. We are interrupting this podcast to let you know that a verdict has come in on our top case. We recorded this podcast while the jury was deliberating, and a few hours later, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. 39-year-old Jay Jenks has been found guilty of first-degree murder in the death 
of her stepfather. The discussion that you are about to hear was recorded a few hours before the verdict and examines the evidence and some of the challenges facing the jury. So our first case is out of Solano Beach, California, where a woman is accused of killing her stepfather after discovering nude photos of herself on his computer stuff that should not have been there. So here's the summary. Jade Jenks, who is 39 years old, has been charged with the murder of her former stepfather, 64-year-old Thomas Merriman. Prosecutors say that she was furious after discovering over 100 nude photos of herself on Thomas's computer. Jade says that she was for sure freaked out and really angry about it, but that she didn't kill him. What's interesting here, Jared, is really... DNA evidence does not appear to play a huge role in in this case. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how the jury reacts to all of this. Yeah, I, you know, in reading the the case summary that you that you provided me, it was it was interesting to me that they had brought in um, as part of that evidence, uh, that red rope that you were talking that that she had apparently bought the day before uh, the, you know, either this gentleman either died or, or was murdered. And the, the red rope they said had two, two parts of DNA on it on the, in the middle section was the victim's DNA. And on the outer sections was her DNA. And that implies to me that she had used this, uh, this rope to uh, strangle him, and and that's that's really common with ligatures and and uh, garrets and things like that, where the victim's DNA is going to be on the middle of the, uh, and it can be a rope, it can be a, a power cord, whatever. But the the victim's DNA is going to be in the middle because that's typically the portion that is uh, goes around the the person's neck, and then the suspect is going to be gripping it on the the outer ends of that. And the 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 part that was really puzzling to me is is they said there was no so the, the victim was only in the in the driveway and deceased for a, a day or two, and in California I wouldn't think that especially in the middle of the winter that wouldn't be the decomposing wouldn't be super fast, but the 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 coroner didn't say that there was any signs of strength of strangulation. Exactly. This is why this case is so puzzling to me. The coroner said that it was, you know, massive intoxication. Um, and he apparently had a ton of prescription drugs that he was on. He had just come out of the hospital and she says that he did a he took a, a combination cocktail of whiskey and sleeping pills. And so the, the coroner has testified that he died of an overdose of the sleeping pills. And that's what killed him. And so they have presented to the jury, the prosecution, as you just said, Jared, that um, not they claim that not only did she feed him this combination, but then she strangled him and then put a bag over him. But if that doesn't appear to be the cause of death, then what do, what does a jury do with this information? I mean, I realize there's a lot more we need to discuss, but I am so puzzled by that. Yeah, I. Well, the the, the prosecution, of course, is going to bring in every angle they possibly can to try to prove their case, but. Uh, just like the defense is going to, uh, you know, try to try to, 
you know, show, show the other side. But if the victim didn't die of strangulation, whether it be through a, a rope or even, you know, strangling somebody with their hands, there's all sorts of indications that you'll see there, um, including discoloration of the face and uh, bulging of the eyes. Um, but there would be a, a, a dramatic mark around the neck where either either with the hands or with uh, a rope, you would see a mark around the neck where that person had been strangled. And it, it, there doesn't seem to be that. So, And if the coroner is saying he didn't die of uh, strangulation, he died of, of drug overdose, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why the prosecution would even bring that in other than to create a little more, um, you know, pause, I guess. I, you know, I guess I, I find it distracting. I also figure if that seems so off point to me, if that to me, if they don't have the evidence, if they don't have the evidence to support that, then I, I'm curious about what about the rest of their theory? Tell me what you can prove and I, as the as the juror, will figure out within this what probably happened. And I think that that reveals a weakness. Go with your strength. Go with your strength on this case. So let's talk more about what prosecutors say and what, you know, Jade says. So Jade did take the stand in her own defense, which I always say is very tricky. If you can answer those questions those nagging questions and those things that don't make sense, then by all means, take the stand. However, if you <laughs> then cast even more doubt on your version of events, you really shouldn't be there. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I, find, I found some of her testimony interesting and the other left me so, somewhat baffled. So again, it's in the hands of the jury. So prosecutors say that what she did was um, that this all happened on New Year's Eve of 2020 and that he had been in the hospital, Thomas had been in the hospital and Jade went to pick him up. Now this part is a little unusual. You get out of the hospital, you're clearly not well. And the first thing you do is you stop at a liquor store to get some whiskey. You know, she claims that he had all sorts of addiction problems. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I do find picking up whiskey on the way home. Okay, it's New Year's Eve. I, I don't know, maybe he was going to celebrate. <laughs> you know, usually you stop, you get eggs, <laughs> you get some milk, some juice for the morning, and the whiskey wouldn't be at the top of my list. So um, let's talk about how she discovered the pictures, because I think that to me was the nagging question. It's like, ooh, was she digging through the computer? So here's what Jade says. Okay, she testified that she was cleaning his office. So he's in the hospital. She's the, the former stepdaughter. Parents have separated and divorced. Um, and she's visiting him in the hospital and she's taking care of his place. She says she's wiping things down. She's in his office. She says she bumped the mouse and then the screensaver popped up. And the screensaver um, was a photo of her breasts. And she knew it was hers because she has a beauty mark. So um, that's when she freaked out. And I can understand. That's kind of a freaky thing. This is your stepdad. So they're saying that's the motive, Jared, that she was angry, betrayed, disgusted by all of this. Does that seem like a motive? 
motive to like what she was saying, you know, and trying to intimidate him and, and show how angry he was or she was about it and get, get it uh, deleted from her computer. Yeah. Uh, commit first degree murder. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a pretty incensed one. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's just very disturbing. I, I mean, the the way I'm kind of reading this is if you're trying to take care of someone who has been in the hospital and you're trying to help them and take care of their home and doing all these other things, and then you feel a sense of, my God, I've just been betrayed by this person. Here I am, here I am being the dutiful former stepdaughter um, and... Now I'm finding out he's got all these photos of me that he shouldn't have had access to. She claims she never gave them to her, to him. She claims they were on her computer, um, on her digital camera. And I mean, that, that's a possibility that you feel like you've maybe been taken advantage of. She claims that there was never anything inappropriate in their relationship together. Um, you know, it is interesting that Jade's mother and Thomas separated in 2008. And after the divorce, Jade continued to have a relationship with him and was part caretaker of him. Um, She lived with Thomas until she was in her 20s. Then she moved out. And then back in 2020, they reconnected and she moved into the house next door to his. So they lived truly next door to one another in Solana Beach. Now, Jade works as an interior designer, and Thomas was the co-founder of Butterfly Farms, a nonprofit dedicated to preserving butterflies. And they had like one of these, you know, big enclosed areas where, where kids could go in for field trips and get to know about butterflies. Um, so I have to say, there I'm having some inconsistent images here of the victim of butterfly person, right? With nature. And then Jade telling us he's downing some whiskey and sleeping pills. So I'm getting two pictures of one person and they may very well all live in that same person. But, you know, there's a lot going on here. So I do want to get more into Jade's testimony. She said some of the photos of her were cropped and that he had placed them in different folders that were categorized by body part. If that's true, that's like really creepy, you know? <laughs> that Well, the entire thing is pretty creepy, but I yeah, and the interesting thing to me is is how many of us actually live du- kind of double lives. You know, this guy on the on the outside appeared to be, you know, this uh butterfly lover and and had his uh, nonprofit and all that, and uh, and at the same time, on her side, she was this uh, semi-successful, I guess, you know, interior designer. And and but more importantly, she she was actively taking care of her former stepfather. That she didn't have to, you know, they they'd been weren't really a family for a long time, and yet she. I, I read w- one part. She said, well, you know, he, he was my dad. And so she was loving enough that she would even move next door to him and and take care of him. So I would fully understand that she would have one image of him and one that would be 
she would be willing to to sacrifice herself in in taking care of him and then all of a sudden she found these nude photos of herself on his computer and so yeah as far as feeling betrayed and angry and you know all those uh, uh irrational mo- you know they're rational to her but cause you to do irrational things uh, mm-hmm. all those emotions the anger and things like that and so i i would fully understand why she would be as angry as as she could have been that you know that morning right and as she says oh i was angry but i didn't kill him and um certainly if even if the state's own uh medical examiner cannot prove this theory of strangulation i i think it's it's a little far-fetched so in her testimony you know she went on about how some of those photos again were taken when she was much younger, which she found um, very concerning. Here is a clip of Jade's testimony. Have you ever made any uh, sexual overtures toward your stepfather? No. no. Did you tell him that you had uh, nude photos of yourself? No. And you never showed him anything similar to those, correct? No, he was my dad. So according to police, Jade picked up Thomas from the hospital on New Year's Eve. That would be December 31st. And that is the last time that he was seen alive. Now, just like how he died is still being disputed here, so is where he died. This, to me, is the part I have the most trouble with. So Jade testified that after picking up Thomas, they stopped to buy the whiskey, as we said. Then he took Uh, a fistful of sleeping pills and passed out in her car. She testified he had a drug problem and that this happened a lot, that he would pass out in the driveway. Um, And I'm sure that that's something that I would think could be verified. So here's what she said she did. She left him in her car overnight And when she checked on him the next day, which was New Year's Day, he was dead. And she says she did not call 911 because she didn't want to be blamed for his death. Now, this, to me, does not make sense. Why would you leave him passed out in a car at night? Now, I get it. She's mad at him and she's like, you know what? You're on your own, buddy. (laughs) I've done enough. You, you have disrespected me. And, you know, there's your house, you get out of the car and you get yourself home. So I think that that's possible. That's plausible. I get that. But the not calling, the not calling 911 when he is dead. And then she said that she managed to get him toward his garage, you know, outside, dumps his body and then covers it with trash. This to me makes no sense. That's a bad cover up. Uh, To me, if if she actually planned on killing him and she wanted to kill him, why would she dump him in the driveway, you know, to start decomping it? That that's the part that I was reading that. And I was like, what, you know, if the guy's already in the vehicle and you want to get rid of him, then drive him out to the desert somewhere. And to me, that actually, that implies to me that she's just panicked. She has absolutely no idea what to do. And, I don't know. To me, that that's also one of those uh, areas of doubt. So do you believe that part of her story where she's like, oh, my God, he's dead. They're going to think I did it. Let me just get rid of him. And that it was very poor planning or no planning at all. And that maybe she didn't kill him. Well, 
if you look back at all the other cases that I'm sure you've covered, if if there's an actual plan to kill somebody, then usually people will have a plan to get rid of the body. Because naturally, when you when you kill somebody, now you have a new issue. You have to actually get rid of the evidence. And you would think that somebody of of her, you know, she's an interior designer and uh, capable of of buying her own home and taking care of other people. That she would be intelligent enough to to know that you know what? Yeah, if I kill this guy, I'm gonna have a body to get rid of because most people are not and not smart enough to actually stage a suicide or something like that. It, and at least they, if they think they are, then uh, they're, they're usually wrong because it's a lot harder to do than what people think. And, you know, actually killing somebody is a lot harder to do than most people think. So could this guy have actually just uh, OD'd and, and you know the combination of the ambient and the and the whiskey actually killed him, especially if he's in a weakened state coming out of a hospital. Sure, totally. Um, but um, to to panic to the point that you're just like, uh, you know what? I don't want to get blamed for it. And yet, her 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 entire thought process just is, you know, I'm just gonna uh, dump him in a driveway. Uh, to me, that doesn't make sense at all. Right. And then cover him with a little bit of trash. It's just like, you know how squirrels never are very good at hiding anything. You right. watch them. And then that's what I feel like. Like a squirrel came in here, put a little bit of trash. <laughs> and for an interior designer, you would think she would get every little detail <laughs> of right. every corner of every of every um, part there. So I, I don't know. That, that to me is very interesting. And there's going to be more incriminating evidence. So... Um, he was found, he was found on January 2nd. So remember last time that he was seen alive would have been the 31st one released from the hospital and police found him because they were doing a welfare check. Now, according to the autopsy report, again, you know, this, the, the cause of death was acute intoxication from sleeping pills, not supporting the strangulation, which again, I think is very important here. So here's the other part that I find interesting, and I actually find some of this almost a little suspicious on the prosecution side. Okay, so two friends slash associates uh, told the police that Jade either asked them for help in killing Thomas or sent incriminating text messages about wanting to kill Thomas. So... Her defense, again, is always that Thomas's poor health combined with the intoxication is what killed him. And, and that's what they're sticking to. Now, in one of these text messages, this is indeed very incriminating. This is, and they put this up on a big screen in the courtroom. And the quote is, this is her text, quote, I just dosed the hell out of him. Oh, okay. That is very, very damaging. And then the next one is, I'm about to club him on the head as he's waking up. Okay. <laughs> she needed to answer this on the stand. Remember, you're going to take the stand. You're going to have to answer for the inconsistencies and the problems in the case. So this is what she said. She said, I don't have a good answer for these text messages other than if I had planned to kill him, I wouldn't have been stupid enough to send these text messages. Yes, I wanted 
It's an expression. I want to kill him, right? Okay, she's mad at him, but the dosing the hell out of him, that is very suspicious when he dies of intoxication or overdose of sleeping pills and she's dosing the hell out of him. This to me is the most incriminating. Yeah, and it's interesting that the the prosecution didn't just harp on that. You know, they they introduced it, to me that red rope again comes around. And when I I don't know, this why introduce doubt into your own case? Yes, exactly. I, you know, the prosecution is is introducing this this rope and implying that he was strangled when the coroner has said there's no indication of of uh, strangulation and the cause of death is overdose so why why would the the prosecution bring up anything other than that overdose and say you picked him up he was in a weakened state because he's a recovering alcoholic you took him to the you knew he couldn't resist uh alcohol so you took him to the to the uh, place liquor to buy store. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the liquor store. And you bought him alcohol. You got him drunk. And then you, you you know, to me, that would have, and then you gave him a whole bunch of Ambien. To me, that would have been a pretty shut and, you know, closed case. It's like, yeah, you killed him. You know, it says right here, you were going to, you overdosed the hell out of him and or you uh, drugged the hell out of him. And, and then, you know what? But to me, it's just like this rope is like a distraction, and yet that's what the prosecution brought in. Well, like, I find I find these two individuals, the witnesses, also slightly problematic, and here's why: because remember, these messages are being sent to them, and they're claiming that she's asking them to help her kill him or dispose of the body. Okay, here's my problem with this, Jared. One of them wouldn't testify okay (laughs) and come on we all know we can be compelled so that means the prosecution didn't really want them to testify and then the other one you know so one testifies the other one doesn't want to and the one that doesn't want to is having a little issue because he apparently has to deal with other criminal charges that he's facing so this brings me back to uh these are like could these be witnesses of convenience? I don't know. Yes, her text messages, in her words, damning, and she really doesn't have a good answer for it. I think that's incriminating. I think the fact that, I think it's possible that she either assisted, I think it's possible that she could have maybe, because obviously she bought the whiskey, that she could have given him the whiskey knowing he had the sleeping pills, knowing that he was going to take it all. And part of her is wishing, yeah, go ahead, take it. And maybe that's how she contributed to it. And the fact she left him in the vehicle instead of rendering aid contributed to his death. Was it murder? Was it planned? Or was it indifference to his life because she was angry? I don't know. It's in the jury's hands. Well, yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see what the jury actually comes out with. But they, in one part, I, I did see that she said, I'm, I'm not big enough to carry him. And so uh, maybe she did try to get him into the house and he just fell down and uh, that's, you know, that's where he died. And so she was just like, I, I what am I supposed to do? The, the guy's dead. I can't carry him. I'm not big enough to move him. And so she just covered him up with garbage until she could figure out what to do. But 
Um, I don't know. I would think if she was truly innocent that uh, she would have called 911 and said, oh my gosh, I was trying to bring him in and he fell and uh, whatever. I mean, I I think she would have a more plausible story then than would, well, you know, he died in the car and I just, uh, I didn't know what to do with him. So I moved him to the driveway and covered him up with the garbage. But yeah, um, I agree. I agree. And look, if she was reaching out for people to help her, which is what these two witnesses were saying, and one couldn't help. So he got a so-called associate of his to try and help that again is incriminating. It's damaging. It's all damaging. So especially as, as sketchy as these guys are, it's yeah. like if, if she was, if she was just trying to, to help him get into the house and he, he fell out of the car, or, you know, she couldn't get the, she couldn't get him into the house. Well then call a neighbor. They, they, they had a neighbor testify. And so it's like, you know, what would you do if, if you had an elderly person that was passed out in your driveway well, you don't just leave them there and come up with garbage. You um, you run over to somebody and or you either dial 911 or you run over to the neighborhood and say, oh, my gosh, can you help me move this guy into the house? And I, I, I'm, I can't do it myself. Mm-hmm. And, and what neighbor wouldn't do that? Right. Um, and the neighbor would probably say, I think we have to call the cops. You know, yeah. we better call 911. This is not a job for me. Yeah. I think that's what any reasonable neighbor would say. So the jury began deliberating this case on Tuesday, December 20th. And once again, an update. A few hours after this podcast was recorded, Jade Jenks was found guilty of first degree murder. She faces a sentence of 25 years to life in prison. A sentencing hearing is scheduled for April 3rd of 2023. Because it is almost Christmas, I said to the team here, please, no more murders for our second case. Can we just do a crime where no one is killed? And that is how we came upon this case, which I got to tell you, I'm fascinated with. So this is out of Wetumpka, Alabama, where two so-called cat ladies have been convicted on misdemeanor charges stemming from their feeding stray cats. Animal lovers across the country have come to their defense, and numerous animal rights organizations say that the two women have been treated way too harshly, but the court has ruled otherwise. You all are going to see the video, and you all will make your own decisions, because the body cam video is incredible. It just, it shows the exchange and everything and the tone, just body language, everything. So the two women, 85-year-old Beverly Roberts, yes, who is still driving, and 61-year-old Mary Alston. They were arrested and convicted of trespassing and disorderly conduct. The arrests were recorded by police body cameras. It is a tale of the tapes. Now, Beverly, who is a feisty 85-year-old woman without question, is also a decorated retired Army veteran, and she loves cats, okay? So Beverly and Mary admit they were feeding stray cats. There's no denying that. In fact, you'll see on the body camera uh, video when the cops go through their cars. I mean, the back seats are filled with cans of cat food. There's there's no question. And they don't deny this. Um, So the women say that not only were they trying to feed the cats, but they also had some cages and they were trying to catch the cats so they could have them fixed and ultimately 
you know, rehome them and help with the cat situation. So clearly everyone in this community does not want the stray cats anymore. And the difference here is the difference of opinion on approach. So, um, yeah, I'm obsessed with this case. <laughs> Can you tell Jared? <laughs> I just, this, this is just such a great case. Oh, this is just perfect for Christmas. You know, these, yeah. these, I, I can just picture these two old ladies and they're just like, oh, these all poor cats, you know, they don't have any food. We got to go take care of them. Let's, let's try to help uh, the community clean it up and, and take care of these poor animals. And understand you know i grew up in idaho and uh part of my life was on a farm and we had uh stray cats that um that made their way into our barn and the incredible thing is even without feeding them they uh, before we knew it there was probably 20 cats in there and they were just feral cats and i'll tell you what they they did not like people they were vicious and um as kids, we tried to get in there and, and try to help them and stuff. And they wanted nothing to do with us. And, and they had some really sharp claws. I can attest to that. Probably still mm. have scars, scars from it. But, you know, I, I can I can definitely understand how these women would would feel that they were helping. And, you know, especially with their love of cats. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they're just these two older, you know, loving women that um, wanted to do something for these, these animals. And, but the problem is as you're feeding them, you're enabling them to breed more and that's just making the problem worse. And I think that's what the police were trying to explain to them is, you know, you can't feed these cats. They, they, they just, they'll just uh, proliferate. And before you know it, we'll have, thousand cats around here but well i i you know i i'm of two minds here on this one because i think cats are i'm sure there were plenty of mice field mice that they were able to catch and keep very busy with um and i do understand that there's no way you're going to catch them unless you lure them with food it's because feral cats are incredibly hard to they're fast they're incredibly fast so you know i kind of understand both problems here i understand you got too many cats um and everyone's got a different approach on how to do it the question is when this came to a head was it handled the way it should have been and i can also say when you watch the video you know when these two women were told by the police okay, you're now trespassing and you've got to leave. Police say gave them a half hour warning and said to them, okay, I'm giving you a chance to leave. And they chose not to leave. And that's where this comes down to. I mean, did they have to be handcuffed the way that they were? Maybe. But then, you know, Beverly got kind of sassy there uh, <laughs> when she's handing over her keys to one of the cops because they're taking her in. They're like, okay, Beverly, we're done with you. You're under arrest for trespassing. You're going. And, and she wanted to give her friend the car keys. And they said, no, give it to the officer. And when she she kind of threw them at him, you know, did she harm him? No. But that was it. That was the straw that broke all of the camel's backs out there. And they're like, that's it, Beverly. You're going in. You've gone too far now. Um, 
<laughs> That's why we're going to play oh. as much of this video for all of you. I, I do want to set up a few more things. So when you see the video, you have as much context as possible. So this happened on the morning of June 25th of 2022. Mary and Beverly were asked to leave a vacant lot owned by Elmore County, which apparently is part of the court property. So here's where the where some of the argument is. Beverly and Mary say, this is public property. It belongs to the county. It belongs to the court. You cannot tell me that I am trespassing. I have a right to be here. The police are saying, you do not. You're contributing to the problem of the cats. Plus, we've told you to leave. You have no business here parking on this lot, you know, this grassy area. And they didn't leave. So this is what the legal argument is over. Public property, did they have, did police have a right to tell them to go? So ultimately, three patrol cars respond. And here's the situation that we're going to pick everything up with. This is now, you're going to see the cops interacting with 85-year-old Beverly and her friend, Mary, and the discussion. Let's let's just play the body cam video for you. Well, for trespassing, we told you to leave and you haven't left. You want to handle her? I mean, she's still not leaving. If you want to take her to jail too, go for it. All right, Mr. Roberts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Apparently, they've had an issue with you out here before with the cats. Not here. Feeding the cats out here, right? Well, I feed them. We've been trying to trap them and we get them neutered and then get them homes. Okay. So we're trying to do the city a favor. Okay. Well, yeah. the city has asked you multiple times. The city? Yes, ma'am. Not to do this. Uh-huh. Okay. And they have trespassed you. Okay. And now you're trespassing. I'm okay. sitting in my car. I'm not. Well, I'm, I well you're on the, you're, ma'am, you're on the property. You've got cat food. Okay. It's pretty, I mean, all in the back seat. It's pretty, it's pretty clear what your intent is. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So because you've been trespassed and you have returned yet again, we're going to have to take you to jail. Okay. Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Hey, no. You can go too. Shit. You all are unbelievable. Okay. This is what you're wasting city gas on. Okay. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Right. Step up here for me. Okay. Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to listen to me. Uh -huh. not, listen. Hold on. Where are you, you going? I'm going to give her my car keys so she can get my okay. car to yeah. my house. Here, give it to that officer right there. He'll I hand them to her. Hey. It's going to get ugly if you don't stop. Okay. Can I please you say one thing? Okay. Now you just got to know it's over. Can I say one thing? Get out. Get out. I'm tired. Get out. Get out. Get out. You understand? You cannot take me without my car. Go ahead and step in for me. Ma'am, go ahead and step in. Come on. Close my, close my car door, please. Ma'am, we're going to get all your stuff. Just step in for me. Well, I, I can't without, I, you know, I'm eight, almost 85 years old. Yes, ma'am, I had every intention of putting those handcuffs in the front for you until oh. you started acting like that. Oh. I'm sorry, I can't get in. So, Jared, I get the feeling after watching this video a few times that the cops were like up to here with these two cat ladies, you know, <laughs> and, and you can hear it in, in their commentary as they're going through the women's purses and, 
and and as they're talking to each other and going through the car saying, look at all the cat food they had. I mean, they could, you know, we didn't have to take them in if they just would have left. So you can even hear, <laughs> you know, the cops talking to themselves and each other. And you can see, you know, that Mary and Beverly are for sure trying to plead their case. And I'm just going to put this out there. Look, you're 85 years old. I think at that point you could say to the police, you know, maybe you push it. You're 85 and you're like, listen, I'm 85 years old. Just leave me alone. But do you really get to be left alone and do what you want because you're 85? I don't. <laughs> I don't oh, know. God bless our law enforcement officers. <laughs> Some of this, you know, 99% of this stuff that they do on a daily basis is just honestly stuff like this and on occasion you have the you know the murders that they have to respond to but for the most part these guys are just trying to do their job they've been obviously told by somebody to yes. go take care of the of the the cat ladies well you know they they gave them plenty of warning they said look we're going to give you a half hour to you know finish up what you're doing and and vacate the area and yes, they do have the right to do that because even though it is owned by the county, they can still, you know, put restrictions on it. And feeding feeding stray cats on the property next to the courthouse is probably not something that um, the city officials want done. So they they sent the police out there and they said, you know, just hey, just tell them to clear out. And the fact that they told them to clear out and they didn't. Well, once they tell them to clear out, my understanding, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding with law enforcement is once they give a lawful order, then it's our responsibility as citizens to respond to that and to obey that. And, and again, I, I emphasize, uh, you know, legal and lawful order and telling them to vacate the premises in a, in a nice, <laughs> courteous way saying, listen, I understand you love cats. However, uh, can't do it here. So they, they give them the time and then they're like, hey, Beverly, come on, you know, we told you to vacate and you haven't yet. So now they have to escalate it. And, you know, they're like, look, just leave. But then they won't leave. So, you know, yeah. Do they have to put them in cuffs? I don't know. I mean, if, if Beverly's, especially as you know, I'm in a, I'm a retired army officer too. And so I understand, you know, they, she probably wasn't accustomed to, just taking orders. And so a uh, little, little feisty. And so I'm sure she's like, well, I serve my country. I can, I can do whatever I want. Well, and what's interesting is that, um, so Beverly, um, because she is 85, it is hard sometimes to get your arms behind you. And you can see that she, they handcuff her and then she can't physically bend enough to be able to get into the back of the patrol car. So then they try another patrol car and they're telling her, this one's a little bit lower. Maybe you can fit in this way. And she's like, well, did you have to handcuff me behind my back? And the officer says to her, you know, you shouldn't have thrown those keys and I would have handcuffed you in the front. So it's like action, reaction. I'm not defending or criticizing. I'm just <laughs> simply stating that everyone there contributed to the situation in their own way from their own position about how this all went down. Okay, so this clip that we played for you is from the Montgomery Advertiser. It's, you know, it, you can we're going to link to it so you can see even more of it if you want. So, now let's get to 
sentencing day because now we have the incident in June. You've seen the body camera. Uh, now here's what happened in court because this case doesn't end. So last week on December 13th, the city judge ruled on the case after a five hour trial. And by the way, the two women, Mary and Beverly did not take the stand. Okay. The judge said, quote, there's a lot of politics swirling around here today. <laughs> it just a five-hour trial. The Ugh. politics of cats. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so then the verdicts come in. <laughs> and the judge asked if the women had anything to say. And Beverly raised her hand. Oh, boy. And she did. So I'm quoting here. This is how the exchange went down. This is Beverly. Quote, I am not the first person in Wetumpka to feed cats. People were doing it long before me. I just got caught. The judge, you weren't convicted for feeding cats. Beverly snaps back. I know because it's not illegal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so Beverly... Beverly Roberts was found guilty of criminal trespassing and disorderly conduct. Mary Alston was found guilty of criminal trespassing and interfering with governmental operations. The two women were sentenced. Can you believe this? Two years, two years of unsupervised probation. That means for two years, Beverly better walk the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No more throwing your keys at the cops. No more throwing keys or even jangling them anywhere near a cop. Okay. <laughs> and then 10 days, 10 days in jail, which the judge suspended the jail sentence. So it's in name only and plus $100 in fines and court costs. Really? Two years of probation? This is a misdemeanor. I mean, come on. You've seen the, the, the camera. Is that, that to me seems a bit much. Oh, I, I have no idea. Honestly, I'm not, a, I'm not an attorney, but um, I would bet that that based on, on the conviction of, you know, those charges, I would bet that's the minimum. And so that's probably in the statute somewhere where that's the absolute minimum. I'm sure this this judge is just like, oh, my gosh, really? Really? I, well, I, I have to listen to this trial and the prosecution. Well, it was politically said. The whole thing was political. You know oh, what I'm I would sure. have done if I were the judge? I would have sentenced these two to community service and, and some animal thing, put them to use at the shelter in the area yeah. in which, right, to honor what they're trying to do and basically saying, look, you got to follow the law. There are consequences for not listening to police. I get it. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like an awful <laughs> lot here. So back to the case. The defense attorneys for the two women have argued that the criminal trespassing charges are not warranted because feeding stray cats doesn't vo violate any laws. So they're claiming that the genesis of this is faulty to begin with. So they say that the original case is invalid, that the charges of disorderly conduct and obstructing governmental operations are also baseless. So they are going to appeal 
this verdict and they're going to demand a jury trial. I can't wait to hear everyone's comments on YouTube. You all are going to weigh in. This is my holiday gift to you, something we could all really talk about and and just marvel at. The video is incredible. I hope you all enjoy this one. Jared, before we go, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about MVAC and what your company does. How have you seen the change in technology so radically change, not just prosecution, but, you know, how we solve cases? Well, DNA, like you said, is basically the gold standard now. And the ability that the, that the MVAC brings to the table is the, the ability to collect DNA from pretty much any type of surface. So, you know, you have evidence out there that prior to the MVAC coming onto the stage, basically they, they didn't really have a way to get the DNA out of the rock or the brick or off of the clothing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's helping solve enough cases that it's not anecdotal anymore. It's literally a tool that pretty much every law enforcement agency needs to have access to. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, I think the record thus far is there's a case in upstate New York where it helped solve a 56 year old cold case. And, you know, if it's solving cases like that, uh, it, it may be able to help solve one of the cases of, of one of your listeners. So, yeah, I'm just fascinated how so many of you really bring a piece of the puzzle to crime solving because the expertise that you and your company bring to the table is the extraction of the DNA from an item which before you couldn't necessarily get. So the fact that you can extract the DNA is what you bring to the table. We we said at the top of the program about Othram and what they do where they do the analysis of the DNA. And so each each one of you is bringing this 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 level of technology that makes it possible to get to the bottom of who killed this person? How was this person killed? Um, I, I think the MVAC, are you in just about every police department now? Uh, unfortunately, no. We are oh. not really into, um, I don't know, 5%. Uh, so there, there's about 18,000 different police agents or law enforcement agencies around the country. Well, um, there's only a couple of hundred MVACs in the entire United States. So there's a lot of agencies that are actually too small to, to justify the cost of one of them. But at a minimum, they need to know about the system so that if they ever have a case where they're having difficulty getting DNA off of, um, of an item, at least they know what to do with it. You know, because in the past, they've just put it in in the you know evidence room and just let it sit. But now there's literally I, I'd say if there's, there's if there's a case that's more than five years old, that it has evidence that hasn't been tested in the last five years, they need to resubmit it because not just the MBAC, but there's all sorts of technology that has improved the lab processes, uh, including like Othram and those guys. And and those processes can give the investigators uh 
if not an actual profile, they can at least give them directions to go, you know, and it's, it's, it's really amazing how fast that technology and that technology, or they, the, the processes and the capabilities of DNA that, that has enabled investigators to solve cases you would think would just be impossible. It's incredible. I mean, we're, we're fascinated by this. The, the people who subscribe to this podcast, you know, so many of our listeners and viewers, they not only want to know how and who and what was going on, but how did you figure that out? And what was the way to do it? Because it, it's, 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 it's the entire piece of the investigation, I think, is fascinating, whether it's the people involved in the investigation and what they allegedly did, but it's also how you figured it out. Because in some of these cases, you're like, how did this happen? You know, and who was this person? So I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. Thank you so much for joining us today, because um, we've been trying to get you on the program and it's been great. Jared, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. The pleasure has been all mine. (laughs) If people want to follow you or the cases that um, your company is working on and different police departments, where can people find you on social media? So I'm really active on LinkedIn. Uh, Just go to my profile and and connect with me. I'd love that. But we also have YouTube channels, both with MVAC systems and it's M-VAC systems. Um, my podcast is all things crime. It's on YouTube as well as all of the, uh, Spotify and, and iTunes and things like that. And so, yeah, we, I'd, I'd love to connect with, uh, with your followers and, um, anything I can do to help uh, your show. I'm just let me know. Oh, next time we're going to find some DNA rich cases for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'd, well. I'd love to come on and talk about it. Terrific. Well, uh, you can, of course, find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N, um, all social media. This episode and every one of our podcasts available wherever you get your podcasts, also on our YouTube channel. Um, please subscribe to that. And of course, you can get our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. I want to let you know that for the holidays, we have a special podcast that we will be releasing between Christmas and New Year's. And this is about a murder that took place on New Year's Day of a woman who many people would never have given a second look to. She was unhoused on the streets. But what you don't know about this woman is that she used to be a recording artist in the 60s. And it's the story of her life, this case, and trying to get justice for her to this day. Her her murder trial has not begun. So I hope you get a chance to hear that special podcast. We thought it was important to do it around the anniversary of her murder. So um, until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, but before we say that, I want to wish you all um, a very happy, safe, healthy new year. We'll see you back here. And now I will say it, as we always say, don't do crime.